Hello, and welcome to Improv Interview. This is Margot Escott, improviser and psychotherapist in Naples, Florida. This is part two of our interview with John Dawson. In this episode, John discusses his work in mental health. He has taught several courses in hospitals in Dublin, working with care providers and recipients of care. He talks about the development of programs and how he learned about himself and others giving this kind of service. I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. Well, hello, John Dawson. Hello, Margo. So today we're going to be talking about your involvement with improv and mental health. Fantastic. I look forward to that. And how did you get involved in the first place? Well, one of the first projects I did um, that I suppose started the ball rolling was I was approached by uh, a group, uh, a couple of people who had a um, an EU Horizons project. This would be about 18 years ago called Lights Disability Action. And they were teaching uh, everything about storytelling, uh, particularly film uh, storytelling to uh, disabled people. And uh, it was a European funded project and they were looking for a facilitator. And uh, I came on board to teach uh, writing and directing and acting, and I became one of their key facilitators. And that was my first experience uh, working with people um, uh, who were challenged in different ways. And within that group, there were people who had mental health issues. And so that led to me doing some work in around 2016 uh, with um, the South Dublin Arts and Disability course. It was a, a... a joint venture between South uh, Dublin County Council, the Clondalkin Partnership, and Stewart's Hospital. And in that, I was, again, teaching improvisation, uh, which was one component of it, but the the participants were all uh, service providers. So uh, they went through uh, the course, uh, when, as I said, I, dra- I taught the improv component, and they then took those skills back to and used them with their clients. So it was very much train the trainer. How long of a training was that? 10, 12 weeks, I think it was, uh, if I recall correctly. Then what happened was, a few years after that, I was approached uh, by a group uh, who were working at DCU, a Dublin City University. And um, three individuals were there, and they were... Uh, uh, I believe nursing students, uh, they were part of the Dublin South Central Mental Health Team, and uh, they were wanted to create a, uh, to see if drama, dramatic, the dramatic arts, had a, a place in uh, the local mental health service, because I think all three of them had an interest, personal interest in, in the dramatic arts. So apparently they were looking for, a, they were looking for a facilitator, a practitioner, and my name came up. And I met them, and they told me what they wanted to do. They wanted to create a six-week course that was completely experiential, that was free of psychiatry, and that it was uh, uh, the hats at the door was their policy. And I, I thought, well, that sounds interesting. What do you mean by that? And they said, well, this isn't just for uh, people in care. It's not just for service users. It, their intention was it was for service providers and for carers. But no one could mention who or what they were. Uh, so uh, I thought that was fantastic. And I said, so the service providers and carers will go away with those skill sets 
as well as uh, having a direct experience with people in care. And they said, yes. And I said, yeah, let's, let's, let's rock. Let's rock and roll. So they brought me in, and I designed a course. And um, I was never made aware of who was a psychiatrist or an occupational therapist or who was actually in care. Now, it was relatively obvious after a little while, but that didn't matter. And no one really spoke of it because it was that just that's just how it rocked. And it was enormously successful, I'm happy to say. So much so that I carried on. Now, you mentioned uh, care, people in care. And I think in the States, we call them clients or patients. <laughs> some a little different. And you mentioned also nothing with psychiatry. So it had nothing to do with what we know as psychodrama in this country. Can you, no. can you give me a little bit more about what you did, how... Sure. Well, it was very experiential, and just like my other improv workshops, it wasn't that much of a difference. We would start with uh, games and exercises. Um, first and foremost, after the, you know, there was the introduction, who was I, what was our goal, um, our goals. And then we, uh, I, I had the rules, and that was basically that there are no mistakes. That was all about play. It was all about process. It was there wasn't uh, about making a production at the end. It wasn't anything that that required them to do learn lines. Um, it was all going to be improvised and completely experiential, and they thought that was great. So we began doing um, games and exercises in warm-up games and exercises and icebreakers get for them to get to know each other, get to get to know me. To start to connect, we did exercises in connection, um, looking and seeing exercises, fun, crazy things that they would have done maybe as children they hadn't done in years, um, and then energy games and exercises. We worked on focus, passing the focus back and forth, the basic improv tools, you know, the, the ABCs of improvisation, concentration and mental agility uh, exercises and games, um, how, exploring how we think, how we think in them in a pattern or a series or opposites, and then at the same time, how we think abstractly and how we think visually. And as we played with these, people began to bond naturally, and they began to trust uh, each other. And as the chorus progressed, I introduced more um, discussion about storytelling, and we began to talk about movies and plays that they liked, and then about halfway through the course, I had them reading very short plays or scenes, and they would cold read, and someone would read the actions of the stage directions, and a couple of them would read the parts, and then we'd have a chat about it. And what happened was, exactly what I was hoping for, is that people saw themselves, their lives reflected in those characters and in those stories, and they began to tell stories about themselves, and what was exciting was the professionals who were there, the service providers, told me things like, that person has never said anything like that to me, let alone in public. So that was really exciting. Because they felt safe and you created a trusting yeah. environment and left, and egos were left at the door with the hats. Absolutely. Did you do some mindfulness with those folks? Uh, in, in what sense? Well, mindfulness, improv is mindfulness. The two are 
joined. Um, sometimes I actually do some uh, really, really spolen exercises, you know, with walking in space and feeling our bodies and different things that help people get in touch with their bodies and, and focus more as well. We sure did some of that. We did uh, walking in emotional states, uh, emotional statues, tableaus, a great game I love. Uh, it's called Family Portraits, where uh, three or four of them will move around and will yell out um, uh, uh, an emotion or a psychological state of being. And they will, without any pre-planning, assemble themselves into a tableau uh, and then turn and face me uh, as if I'm taking a crazy family photo and they freeze and the results are hilarious and 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 but they're collaborating so if somebody makes a move the next person has to connect with that move and so they're building upon the first movements and and that is ultimately where we go once they've been doing it on their own for a while and then in duos and then they make some tableaus we go into something bigger like that and so yes absolutely there was a, a fair bit of that in it because I think it's really important to, to keep them very physical. Absolutely. Or, you know, it, because we have to play from, from the top of our head down to our toes. And in terms of character work, you, you we do a lot of character work. I and mean, were you doing that with your group there as well? A little bit, certainly. Um, we were doing, uh, as I would in my own uh, improv workshops, um, explore character in terms of animal movement emulating different kinds of animals. Uh, where is your center? Is it, in, is it in your head? Is it in your heart? Is it lower down? Is it, in, you know, uh, is, it, is it outside of you? Those kinds of exercises. So Keith Johnston has, a, a, I think it's an impro, uh, placing the mind, that exercise. I call it mm -hmm. placing the center. Uh, that's one of the things we do. Character, we do um, some of the other exercises for character would be uh, inner running phrases, predominant emotional states. And one of the things that I've explored and used, we did a little bit of uh, Augusta Boel work and where we experimented with um, uh, the concepts of hierarchy and status. And that they really loved. Because as you know, Boel, his whole, uh, Augusta Boel's work was really about exploring power and abuse and, uh, and, and empowering the oppressed and giving them a voice. And so this really was exciting. There's a wonderful Boel exercise where I put stickers on their backs of the hierarchical positions that they have in life. There could be a pope, there could be a queen, there could be a homeless person, there could be a drug dealer, there could be a psychiatrist, there could be an improv teacher. And they don't know who they are, but everybody else knows who they are. And they all move around and they are treated according to, by the others, according to that sticker on their back, that hierarchical position within a societal structure. And then I ask them, who do you think you are? And 90% of the time, 95% of the time, they figure it out. And they, as soon as they, and they figured it out fairly early on and they begin to enact it. And they, and then I ask them to line up where they would be in a hierarchical structure from the top to the to the lowest and then to line up again and where do they think they should be so we're playing with the concepts of power and 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 what comes with that what goes with it rightly or wrongly for, so for me that is always a part of characterization 
is where does a character fit within a hierarchical structure? Who has the status? And status to me is not only power, but it can also be humanity. Who is the more caring person? For me, would have more status. That's a, a great exercise. It reminds me of the Who Am I Spolin taken to a couple of different other levels. That's just yes. brilliant. Um, it also reminds me of a game, Sexy, Sexy Funny Smelly. <laughs> where you assign I, that sounds vaguely familiar from you, my second city days yeah, yeah you assign various qualities to other people and you treat them uh accordingly, accordingly. <laughs> <laughs> but i think especially people who have suffered with mental illness the idea of status and empowerment um are very very important because the stigmatization of people with mental illness still goes on and in our country a lot of the mentally ill are in prison um, and that's how we treat them. Yes, yes. As in not treating them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. There's, there's, and it's it's remarkable. Maybe 50 years ago, but there's so much science now that there's no reason, there's no excuse for for, for this at all. Uh, and so uh, that experience with uh, uh, DCU led to me to, uh, uh, to do another two or three courses with St. James Hospital, uh, longer courses, 10-week courses. And it was wonderful. It was really starting to work. People began to express the, themselves more openly. They said that they developed the confidence to join other kinds of social groups. And so they're developing social skills. And you know yourself from your own work, all of your work, that one of the commonalities of mental health issues is the uh, isolation, the inability to socialize, the feeling of being outside of the society. And suddenly they were embraced, yeah. And the, especially with anxiety, I'm different than other people. No one else feels like me. And it's such an awakening when they find out they're not alone. But ha I wanted to ask you, have some of the people that have gone through your lovely programs uh, gone on to uh, study improv outside of the experience they had with you? Yes, a few of them come back to work with me and gone on to work with other people here. Yeah, which is, it's, that's so rewarding, isn't it? It's tremendous. It is tremendous. And uh, in our theaters, we're allowed to video and photograph because they sign a waiver when they come in. And right. uh, I don't know if you were able to do that with your because it's such a confidential group, I assume. You know, we weren't able to do that at all. That was part of the, con the, the condition of the, of the workshops, that uh, that wouldn't happen. So, that's, so there's a lovely book in there. Yeah, I think so. Or maybe a movie or maybe both. Both. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah, and in fact, I've been thinking about that for a while, because sometimes we don't realize the greatest story we can tell is the one that's that we've been living or we lived and it's right beside us. Sometimes, you know what I feel like? I feel like that guy in the Magritte painting with the big green apple in front of his face. You know, he's wearing the bowler hat. And I'm frequently saying, where's my apple? And I can't see it for the apple in front of my face. <laughs> Uh, now, I'm flipping over to art and film. I was just thinking about that painting and uh, how how much I, I used to work right across from the Museum of Modern Art in New York City. And so wow. every day I'd go over for lunch. And one time I went over in the early evening and heard John Lee Hooker, who's a fairly well-known <laughs> blues singer. Um, I love him. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, but the love of films, I I see films. We were just talking before about Ricky Gervais's new Afterlife, and I see films at some point. Can you remember a time when you were so struck by a movie? It might have been one of the first ones you saw. I've been thinking about this question, like a movie that so impacted me, it just kind of turned me around. Well, I'll tell you about an experience that was mind-blowing for me, and I spoke of this recently at a talk I gave um, at the Writers' Game Conference here in Dublin in November. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, I've been, like you, a film, film buff for years, and, and, and living in Toronto was fantastic because Toronto has the second largest film festival on earth, TIFF, so I would go every year, and I would see as much as I could. One year I bought the All You Can See Pass, and I, I saw 33 films in 10 days. And wow. It was just, wow. yeah, it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it would be in the Midnight Madness movie. I would get home at 2 or 3, and the next day I'd be at 8 a.m. I'd be in another movie, you know. So it was incredible. But there was an experience in the 90s, and I I was in a huge cinema in Toronto, uh, probably an 1800-seater. 1800 and I was watching James Cameron's Aliens with uh, um, Sigourney Weaver uh, as Ripley. And it was that magical moment where Ripley comes out to fight the alien mother to protect the little girl Newt, okay, from the alien mother's wrath. And Ripley is wearing the robotic suit that's introduced to us in Act One. And she says the famous line, you know, Ripley says to the alien mother, get away from her, you bitch. And the audience leapt up, men and women, young and old, leapt up, fists in the air, screaming. And they all had collectively forgotten and individually forgotten that they were in a movie. They were in a cinema. They were so actively involved. And it was like a diamond bullet in my, through my head. I thought, find out why, what has happened inside of them, and make sure all of your stories have that. That was a... A great moment for me. I can see it and hear it as you describe it. That's the beauty of storytelling. We can recreate yeah. moments that others can enjoy, too. I can just feel the energy. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's never left me. And that's why I use it as, as a, a the, the initial part of a talk I gave in November. And I will again because I'm teaching another course starting in the, in the next few weeks on writing comedy. And, uh, and uh, specifically the genre of comedy, which is there's nothing more difficult because, as they say, tears are easy, but laughs are tough. Now, uh, are you teaching any online courses at all? Because uh, inter improv is international, as we know. I have two colleagues, one's in India and one's in Nepal right now, which is so international. So have you considered teaching online? Yes, I have, and that's that's my next pursuits uh, pursuit of teaching writing as well as uh, as, as improvisation, uh, and, and I'm be going to be creating streamable content this uh, in the next year or so. So that is that's the future for me for sure. It's a great idea. Yeah. Now going yeah. back to people who struggle with mental illness, I'm wondering what you learned in your process of teaching these people. I know you were teaching the service providers as well, but. What are some of the things you got out of these classes? Well, I found because I'm 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 not a, a, a I, I come at this obliquely uh, as a practitioner as an artist and I'm not a trained I'm not a, an occupational therapist or psychiatrist. Um, I I I have to admit that at first I found it very very challenging because I would come home and I would I would 
I would I could see what they were going through. I could see what they were struggling, and and I I, I would imagine I'm fairly em, uh, empathetic, and and I I felt some of their pain, uh, and I, I found it very very draining and very very difficult. It was not my remit. It's not what I was trained in, and I didn't have the mechanisms to protect myself a bit. So I realized, my goodness, I have to do something about that for myself. And so that made me grow. So because, you know, they say there's three ways we learn something. One, seeing it being done. Two, experientially doing it. And three, teaching it. And I learned uh, through that experience that I also needed to do my own work on my own wellness and mindfulness. But also to develop not necessarily um, mechanisms in me to guard me from that, but to know that that was possible, that I was ta- I couldn't take all of that on board myself. And I, I had to, and perhaps I was good at it uh, if I was, because I came at it, at it obliquely. But I did, it did take a toll on me emotionally for a little while, and I realized I had to deal with that. Now, a lot of improvisers, not all, of course, have suffered various things like anxiety and depression drinking, eating disorders. I'm not asking you to necessarily come out, but I, if you're comfortable, I'd like to know if you've struggled with any of those yourself. I've, I've struggled with, the, with depression off and on. Sure, it's part of being an artistic person. If you look at the lives of artistic people, many of them are very uh, introverted, mostly uh, generally very introverted. And along with that can come depression. Um, uh, I, I have no issue whatsoever revealing that I think more people have to talk about this. The more people talk about it, the less it's demonized, the less, the more we can explore, uh, get involved and learn the science of it and, and hopefully deconstruct it. So, no, I, I no problem at all. In fact, that's probably one of the reasons why I worked in it, because I want to give back. So uh, I have no problem with that. Now, do you have any plans to be teaching other classes in wellness? Uh yeah, I'm, I'm working with a group now. We're going to go back to Europe uh, and possibly develop a European project uh, to deal with that. I'm going to uh, set up another uh, workshop of my own, maybe specifically to deal with anxiety, improv for that purpose, to deal with anxiety, because there's so much buzz about this right now, and and I think that's a good thing. So I want to ride that wave and, and get it. And since I have experience doing this, I want to I want to start doing some more providing. So yes, I do have plans to do some in the near future. My current workshop group, we're going, I'm hoping we're going to do a full-length show. Normally, we my workshops always end in a live show uh, in a little venue in Dublin, but so it's about 45 minutes up on stage. And some people have never done it before, and that they find that to be a a groundbreaking experience for them. But in advanced groups, and on occasion, I will do a full-length show. So that could be 70 to 90 minutes. And I would like this to be a benefit uh, for uh, a mental health uh, a charity, uh, specifically for suicide prevention. Absolutely. That's so important. Yeah. It's such a horrible problem. And uh, it's hard to find laughter in tragic moments. Um, and it's not appropriate sometimes, but learning how to recognize our feelings and talk about it, be, just being able to talk about it is so important. So Agreed. You are, yeah. you're like a renaissance man, John. 
Well, thanks. <laughs> you are. It's just brilliant. And you turned me on to Jonathan Swift, uh, learning more about St. Patrick's and what they do over there in Ireland. And, yeah, he, uh, he was quite the guy. Yeah, yeah. It's, he left that money in his will, and he made sh- and, 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 and stipulated it was meant to go to build this, this facility. And it's still alive and well today. It's a- oh, it sure is. It's going strong. Yeah. That's great. Well, um, I don't know if we have any pithy sayings right now to close this brilliant interview with. Uh, so you have so many new projects coming up. It's just fantastic. I and I just, I love you. I just met you. And I love you. And I love your energy and what you've brought to the world, John Dawson. Well, well I love you very much, too. And thank you so much for this. It's been, we've been talking by email for, for months now. And it's fabulous to finally be able to do this. And I'll see you again soon, I'm sure. Uh, hopefully over here. Yes, absolutely. Then I can show you what is the crack. And, uh, and crack is Gaelic for fun. <laughs> so if somebody says to you, hey, Margo, what's the crack? That means they're asking you, are you having any fun? Right? <laughs> okay, cheers for now, John. Launcha to you. All right, bye, Margo. Bye.